Good morning. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And when you find that, please stand with me as we read God's word this morning. We're going to read Hebrews 2 verses 1 through 4. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Lord God, thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In 2002, Richard Van Pham drifted and slept, and slept and drifted for nearly four months and 2,500 miles from Long Beach to the waters off of Costa Rica. He had left Long Beach for a short jaunt to Catalina Island on his sailboat. It was a three-hour cruise gone bad, sort of a combo between Gilligan's Island and Robinson Crusoe. On that 22-mile journey, a storm blew in, and the wind broke his mast in two. Then the outboard motor failed. Soon after that, the radio failed. Amazingly, he was rescued. The Navy happened upon him, 300 miles off Costa Rica on September 17, 2002. The 62-year-old had no family and had not filed a float plan. He should have known better. No one reported him missing. No one went looking for him. So he drifted, alone in his 26-foot boat for almost four months. The message of Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 is not difficult to grasp. It's a clear warning against drifting away from the Lord and his word. It's an exhortation not to neglect the salvation which is in Jesus Christ. This is the first of six warning passages in the book of Hebrews. And a response is expected. Mark Twain once said, Some people are bothered by statements in the Bible that they do not understand. I'm bothered by statements that I do understand. We should be bothered to the point of action by this warning in Hebrews. It's a serious matter that requires serious attention. And therefore, we need to receive this word of warning against drifting. And then act accordingly. Verse 1 begins, for this reason, therefore, 
And you know that every time you see the word therefore in Scripture, you must ask, what is it there for? For what reason? Because of everything chapter 1 says. Because Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, is so far above angels, the mediators of the old covenant. Because Jesus is superior to prophets and angels, and because the new revelation is superior to the old. Because of the message of chapter 1, that God has spoken to us in his Son, who is better and greater and stronger than anyone or anything. Jesus, as we saw in chapter 1, is the heir of all things. He made the world. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He made purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is greater than any angel. He is mighty God. Chapter 1 gives no commands. Only God's declaration of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 begins with something we must do. We need to pay attention to what we have heard. The connection with chapter 1 is important. Because God has spoken to us in his Son, and because the Son is the creator, sustainer, ruler, and redeemer of the world, above all angels, therefore, we must pay much closer heed to the things we have heard. This is the first command in Hebrews. It is, listen. We must. It's necessary. It's the logical necessity. Pay closer attention. Give earnest heed. We need to focus intently, earnestly, more than usual. With extreme care. The term is actually a nautical term used for bringing a ship to land. We must give more earnest heed to what we have heard. God spoke through his son and his final word in him is an authoritative word. Why are we to listen? So that we won't drift away from it. Drifting is also a nautical term, used of a, of a ship drifting away without power, being carried downstream past a fixed landing place and thereby missing the security that it offers. It literally means to flow by. The word was also used of a river overflowing its banks. It was used of something slipping out of your memory or a ring slipping off the finger. It means to find yourself passing by something very important that needs serious attention. Whatever the metaphor, the warning is clear. This was addressed to those who heard the gospel and either professed faith in Christ or rejected the message. 
For believers, it's a warning against yielding to the temptation to abandon their profession due to persecution or due to laziness. For unbelievers, a warning not to ignore the salvation that is offered in Christ. In verses 2 and 3, we see that there are consequences to drifting. In verse 2, it says that if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The word spoken through the angels was steadfast. It's a legal term meaning dependable, guaranteed. How much more the word spoken through the Son? What word was spoken through angels? This refers to the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 2 says, Jehovah came from Sinai and rose from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran and he came from the midst of tens of thousands of angels. At his right hand was a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people. In Galatians 3.19, Paul says the law was ordained by angels by the hand of a mediator. And in Acts 7.53, Stephen says that the Jews rejected the law even though it was ordained by angels. The consequences of breaking the law at Sinai were severe. It was death. Each of God's commands had a corresponding penalty to go with breaking it for those who ignored God's word and defied him. Each transgression, uh, each instance of doing evil, literally of overstepping the bounds, and each disobedience, uh, each neglecting to do good, received a just reward. The words indicate, a again, stepping aside a movement away from God and rejecting his will. We're not to miss the salvation that is revealed in God's word. We're to be anchored to the truth we've heard, having our lives firmly rooted in the gospel, orienting our lives around the truth. Drifting is dangerous. It takes no effort to drift. Do nothing and you'll drift. That's why the scripture warns against it. Cars drift. The other day I, almost, I saw a man almost drive his car into the wall on the 55-5 interchange while he was talking on his cell phone. I wanted to honk, but I figured I may drive him into the wall. Relationships drift. Spouses become different and uh, grow apart. Parents who are just drifting through life and just trying to survive and not doing anything to stem the tide that is washing them out to sea lose uh, beautiful opportunities to teach their children the truths of God's word. Doctrine can drift. There are many who are being tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind and wave of doctrine, drifting along in a sea of conflicting ideas. And drifting can end in shipwreck. 
A boat adrift can crash into the rocks or go over the falls. Those who drift spiritually through their own neglect find it difficult to escape the consequences. Verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The context seems to point to uh, addressing those who have not yet come to faith in Christ. But the application clearly can be to unbelievers as well as to believers to not neglect the salvation that they have. God spoke the word through Jesus. And it was confirmed. It was guaranteed. It was legally secure and valid. He confirmed it to the writers, to the writer and his contemporaries by ear and eye witnesses, those who had seen and heard Jesus speak. It had been proclaimed in advance through the prophets. But with the coming of Jesus into the world, the promise gave way to fulfillment and salvation came near. Verses 2 and 3 are... Uh, a classic argument, uh, off for shorey argument from the lesser to the greater. If the law which came through angels was sure and steadfast, then the gospel which came through the one who made angels and who was far greater must be even more sure. It's interesting that neither the author of Hebrews nor his companions heard the message as ear and eye witnesses. They depended on the testimony of others who were ear and eye witnesses. They heard Jesus speak. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul shared the testimony as of first importance. It's interesting that Paul, some think Paul wrote Hebrews. Here's one more reason why Paul probably didn't write Hebrews, because Paul was an eyewitness as one lately born who saw Jesus, who experienced him firsthand. But Paul shared the testimony, and he said, I give this to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to many before his ascension back to the Father. The salvation that Christ provided is very great. It includes an inheritance in heaven. It's embodied in the name of Jesus, which means salvation. The salvation includes entrance into God's glory as adopted children. And forgiveness and purification from sin. It also includes freedom from the slavery of fear of death. And most importantly, it includes access to God, direct access to God himself. The privilege of drawing near to God in worship. And the reason why Jesus' superiority over angels has been so uh, heavily emphasized in chapter 1 becomes evident. The law given at Sinai was 
communicated by angelic intermediaries. But God's final revelation was given in his son, and therefore it demands corresponding serious uh, consideration and attention. Verse 4 is further proof that the power of the word of Christ, God bore witness through. God bore witness, he testified with them through signs and wonders, attesting proofs, not just displays of power for the sake of power, but something God did that pointed beyond the event to the reality of God's mighty hand at work. He, he testified by miracles, works of power. He testified by gifts, which refers to God distributing spiritual gifts to believers. And he did all this according to his will. Just a little sidebar on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are gifts from God, not on demand, not for us to dictate, but for us to receive as God gives and God blesses. This is the first reference to the Holy Spirit in Hebrews. And signs and wonders and various miracles were used in the New Testament to show the authority of Jesus and certify the ministry of the apostles and also of Stephen. The writer, as well as other New Testament writers, would not have referred to evidence of miraculous occurrences if there was a possibility that the readers could claim that they had never heard or seen such things. These were matters of common knowledge in those days. And the reference to them was given to restore the hearer's faith in the gospel as God's authoritative message for their lives. What are the signs of drifting? Drifting is not difficult to spot if you're not drifting. But many don't realize it because it comes about gradually. Let me give you a couple signs of drifting. The first is a lack of hunger for the word and prayer. A sure sign of drifting is if you neglect the word of God. Who or what do you listen to? And how does your listening to Jesus compare to your listening of all the other things you listen to in life? Proverbs 13, verse 13 says, He who neglects the word will be in debt to it, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. It's like getting back in shape physically. You can regain what you've lost, but it's going to take time and it won't happen overnight. Let's say you've lost ground spiritually. Let's say you've neglected the word of God. Let's say that you had a hunger for the word of God at some point in your life, but that hunger has waned. It's, it's gone away. And if when you read the word, it's like reading a, a foreign language you've never read or, or, or known. What do you do? I would just say that you can start today and open up your Bible and ask God, To show you himself as you read. 
ask God to help you understand. He will do that. We need daily to be cleansed. Both the word of God and prayer. Cleansed by confession of sin and cleansed by the word itself. God's word washes our souls. It's interesting too that if you only read the word and you don't pray, you can become arrogant. I know it all. But if you only pray and don't read the word, you can be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. You need both. And you can start today. Another sign of drifting is a lack of desire for fellowship with other believers. Do you find yourself hiding, avoiding fellowship because of the conviction you feel over your life and your lifestyle and your choices? Another sign is increased desire for the things of the world. Love for God is evidenced by acts of love toward the brethren and toward the world, to be sure. But it is not evidenced by total assimilation into the mindset and the worldview of the world. It is evidenced by redemptive interaction with the world. Being in the world but not of it and going into the world with a mind to be used of God, trusting God to help you interact with the world redemptively. The last sign I'll share today is a rejection of God's will. Has God called you to something and you knew that God was calling you to it, but you've refused to go? You knew that God was calling you to do something and you have said, no, I'm not going to do it. If I would have said no to coming to Grace Church, I would have been in that camp. I remember saying to Angela, if, if, we, if I don't say yes to this, I am saying no to God and chickening out. Or how about what God has revealed clearly in the word and you are clearly going against his revealed will in the word. And you say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do even though I know that's what it says. True believers experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit and it will happen over and over again. But if we continue to resist him, our conscience can become seared, can become hardened. And if there is no spiritual pulse, we must question whether there is spiritual life. Paul encouraged the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 to test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. He said, don't, don't you know this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus lives in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19 
says that the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord to abstain from wickedness. But Paul says, test yourself. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. It goes along with 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, which says, the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And that's not saying that God is giving everyone eternal life, but it's written to believers, specifically. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And here's the test. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. For believers, the danger of drifting involves really two things. The first is not paying attention and drifting away from the gospel, drifting away from the word of God. It's like weeds taking over a garden. It happens gradually. No one goes in wanting to drift. Like, uh, hey, I wanna, uh, I'm going to follow Jesus and, and then be all on fire for him. But in a couple of years, I'm going to drift for a while and just go my own way. It's like no one goes into marriage wanting to get a divorce. But it happens when we're not on our guard. When we neglect what God has spoken through Christ, we run the risk of pushing it to the aside to the extent that it no longer has any effect in our life. That we can become so detached from public and private identification with Jesus that he ceases to have any functional influence in our life. Now the second thing is, we can also be guilty of inaccurately assessing our true condition. During World War II, at the age of 21, Barney Colson was a skipper on an amphibious ship in the South Pacific. And he and his and three other ships had unloaded their cargo on an island near the end of the day. And they backed away from the shore and they dropped anchor. And the sun was setting. And an anchor watch was set and assigned to make sure the ships didn't drift off in the middle of the night. And everyone else went to sleep. When morning came... All four ships were within sight of one another. About a quarter of a mile spacing between each one. They were safe. And Colson questioned the sailor on anchor watch. And the sailor pointed uh, to each of the ships nearby. But then Colson asked, uh, so where's the island? During the night, the watch had been able to discern the nearby ships. He didn't think they were drifting because the other boats were nearby. What he didn't realize is that all four ships were dragging anchor and they were drifting together. They drifted over 20 miles so that by the next morning, the island was completely out of sight over the horizon. By comparing themselves with one another, Instead of a fixed point, such as the island, they were able to drift all night long 
while thinking they were still securely anchored. The same can be true for us when we compare ourselves with one another. We're likely to be deceived into thinking we're just doing fine. If we're at least average, we think we must be making progress, even though we may be drifting away from the standard. We need to consider Jesus and not one another when we make our appraisal of our true condition. There's a story in the Old Testament which demonstrates the danger of drifting. It's when Abraham and Lot separated from one another. And Lot chose for himself the lush pasture lands of the Jordan. And he was aware of the evil reputation of the cities nearby. But I'm sure that never, even in his wildest dreams, did he ever think that he would someday be a resident of Sodom. But that's what he finally did. And he got there by gradual and seemingly innocent choices. In five sentences, the story of his drifting is summed up. In Genesis 13.10, we read that he chose the valley of the Jordan, which was the vicinity of Sodom. In Genesis 13.12, we read that he moved his tent as far as Sodom. In Genesis 14, we read that he lived in Sodom. And in Genesis 19.1, we see that he sat in the gate of Sodom, which signified that he had become one of its most influential citizens. And when the angels begged him to leave, he had become so callous that we read, he lingered in Sodom. And in Lot's ruined home and tormented soul, we see the outcome of drift. Are you drifting? The danger is real. Many have drifted away from the Lord. And it would be arrogant for us to say that it could never happen to us. It could never happen to me. Honestly, are there any signs of drifting in your life? And if so, how can we get out of danger? How can we get back to a place of security. I want to share three things. The first is you got to get going. You got to be moving. Moving in the right direction. With the engines off, every boat will drift. We've got to start listening. Get back into the word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for reproof and training and equipping that the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That God uses his words to correct us and to bring us back. 
We're to be anchored in the truth of the gospel. We have to pay close attention to the serious matter of God's truth. But the original hearers and readers of Hebrews were apathetic. They were in danger of shipwreck. And so are some of us. They needed to receive this warning. And so do we. The second thing is, get help. Trust others. Like Richard Van Pham, when we're adrift, we can't rescue ourselves. Just ask Ken Barnes, the 47-year-old Newport Beach resident who tried to make a non-stop solo trip around the world on his yacht. His dream ended about three weeks ago when a storm rolled his 44-foot yacht and snapped the masts. It was hit by 25-foot waves. It rolled 360 degrees with him inside. His leg was gashed. His food was waterlogged. He spent three days adrift in his smashed yacht until he was found by fishermen hundreds of miles off the Chilean coast. We can't do it alone. Spiritually, we need help. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with everyone. When we're drifting, we don't need rejection. We need a lifeline. We need a life preserver. I forgot this first hour, but I actually have it now. My life buoy. Ariana wrote this. Jesus saves. This usually hangs in my garage, and now it will continue to hang in my garage, right where it can help people, and and remind me that Jesus, Jesus is the one who saves. Last thing, get clean. If we confess that we're drifting, God will forgive us and cleanse us and bring us back. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It also says that if we say we have not sinned, we basically say God's a liar and his truth is not in us. If we ignore the warning signs, if we continue on a dangerous course, we're foolish. May we encourage one another to listen to the warning. Believers, Jesus doesn't want us to wander away from him. Don't drift away from your salvation in Christ. And for unbelievers, the issue is simple. Don't drift past the safe 
harbor of salvation that is offered in Christ. Have you heard the message over and over and over again, but you keep on rejecting it? You say, not now, maybe later. Or maybe you say, not me. If so, may God use this first exhortation found in Hebrews to move you to believe Jesus. Come to faith in him. Giving your whole life over to him. Yielding yourself to him. Salvation in Christ is too important to neglect. Accept the claims of Christ. Be saved. Jesus rescues the perishing. Jesus saves. And Jesus is the answer to drifting. And the hope that we have in Jesus, the scriptures tell us, is an anchor for our souls. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you needing you desperately. And we come to you, Lord, thanking you, eternally grateful that you have made a way and that our life does not depend upon our faithfulness because we are often so unfaithful. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and that you don't change. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Pray in your name. Amen. Please stand with me. And for our closing, I want to read a benediction in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 and 21. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.